Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Hello everyone, uh, we're joined today by Alice Faibyshenko, who's Senior Advisor at Funkas. Hello Alice, how are you doing? Good, Carlos. Thanks for having me back on the podcast series. Absolutely. You're welcome. So as you know, Alice is, is joining this podcast uh, every um, couple of months and, and she's bringing us always the uh, some insights from the latest uh, C4 report. And the, the C4 report, let me remind everyone, that is the, the um, Funkas uh, flagship, flagship uh, publication. So it's great that you are with us, Alice. And today I understand that we're going to start this conversation talking about the uh, Euribor indicator. And before I let you start, let me remind our audience that the Euribor refers to the Euro Interbank Offered Rate. Uh, Eurobor rates are based on the interest rates at which a panel of European banks borrow funds from one another. So, Alice, what's new when, when you when you are taking a look at the report and what does it say about the latest trends in the when it comes to the Euribor indicator? Sure, Carlos. Well, just to start off, we're going to be highlighting some of the analysis that was conducted in the the CEFO that was published at the end of March, um, which focuses very strongly on the implications of rising Eurobor and how that affects different different segments of financial markets and 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 the economy. Um, but first off, I specifically, well, we will be in this podcast talking about um, the mortgage market and and also relatedly uh, Spanish uh, employment trends in in terms of how the Eurobor has affected the mortgage market and, and, and also how Spanish employment trends feed into that market. But first off, I wanted to start off by saying that, that the bulk of the analysis that is covered in this March issue of Cefo actually was performed um, right before the collapse of SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, and the tensions related to Credit Suisse. So it may not reflect all of the recent volatility that we've seen in financial markets, in particular as regards to the banking sector. So kind of we'll, we'll keep that in mind. Um, that said, there has been a significant increase in short-term interest rates um, since the summer of 2021. It's possible that following that upward shift, long-term rates may have stabilized. And under this scenario, we could see a situation that as short-term rates keep increasing, we'll see that stabilization of the long-term rates and that'll generate a downward sloping yield curve. But I did wanna just highlight again, the importance of the fact that the, the evolution of Eurobor, as you mentioned, it's, it's a function of central bank reference rates. Um, and usually that depends on the evolution of the European economy and inflation within, within the case of Europe and the ECB. But also in this particular anomalous case with, with SVB and, and, and the fallout from that on the other side of the Atlantic as well, we're also going to have to look at the path for financial markets and whether we will continue to see these bouts of instability and volatility as we have with these recent tensions that will also affect 
the path of the Eurobor uh, in the months to come. In the meantime, both the ECB and the Fed have pretty much stuck to their path. They've both had monetary policy meetings after this episode of, of financial markets tensions and stress related to these bank, uh, bank tensions. And both of these central banks have opted to keep policy on track. They've avoided sudden shifts in their strategies. The, the understanding is that they assume that this would be not the right time to shift gears and that it could be even more disruptive and create distrust. Um, so as we said, the ECB stuck to its roadmap, a 50 basis point increase, hinting also that financial stability will play a key role in the coming weeks as regards future rate moves. The Fed also raised interest rates by 25 basis points, pointing out that this will not be the last rate increase. So for the time being, no, no major shifting gears in, in central bank policy. And that said, though, the financial stress that was initiated by SVB, it's going to be difficult to contain. It will complicate the, the inflation outlook and fixing this inflation problem. And it may require some adjustment to central bank strategies, such as a pause or temporary reduction in this, this excess, you know, this drive to, to, to withdraw excess liquidity and increase rates that we've been seeing in a very aggressive way prior, prior to this turbulence. Um, Alice, we know that Euribor is a key reference rate as regards to bank profitability, especially in Europe. But what are some of the other areas where you are seeing these interest rate increases having uh, key implications? Uh, yes, well, that's a very good point that, that you already mentioned in your question. In terms of bank profitability, the Eurobor is, is, is the reference rate. It's very important. And it's already positively impacted EU banks, which have higher sensitivity to interest rate increases than, let's say, for example, their, their U.S. counterparts. But apart from bank profitability, although in, in some ways related, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, in this CEFO, we're going to, to assess the impact of Eurobor on the Spanish mortgage market in particular and trying to take some, some insights from what that could mean for the Spanish economy as a whole. So what's interesting is that clearly the, the impact of the rise in Eurobor and mortgage payments, we know that it depends primarily on households outstanding principal, but it's important to note that the average size of the mortgage, although it stands at about 145,000 euros in Spain, we also have to consider the outstanding balance on those mortgages, which is, which is much lower. It's about 82,700 euros. So, so if we factor this in, this, the, the life of the mortgage, the outstanding average mortgage balance is, is being you know significantly smaller, we see that every one point increase in the Eurobor translates into an increase in the monthly payments of about 43 euros for a 25-year mortgage. But we see that if we look at a mortgage that was just recently issued, those repayments having barely begun, that sensitivity increases significantly to about 73 euros per every one point increase in the Eurobor. So, so it's a much stronger financial burden on the newer loans. So we see this highlights very much that circumstances vary depending on the age of the loan. Individuals with older loans and little outstanding debt, they, they really will, you know, barely feel this increase in the price of money. Those who have more recently taken out mortgages for stronger amounts, they'll, they'll feel it more significantly, especially those who have floating rate or mixed rate formula mortgages. Another point that we have to look at is households vulnerability and how much that depends on their income levels. 
So overall, what we're seeing is with this rise in the Eurobor, we're seeing somewhat of a cooling of the housing market. Transactions volumes are slowing, the price curve is finally starting to bend, but for now, in our view, the situation does not look like it's going to pose a major recessionary risk for the Spanish economy. That said, longer term, we'll have to really watch the trends in employment because that's ultimately going to be the main determining factor of whether households will be able to service their mortgage debts. Um, but as we mentioned also, the those households that are, you know fit the profile of medium to low income levels floating rate mortgages they will face sharp increases in their financial burden relative to their disposable income so it, here it's important to highlight the importance of policy measures that will continue to target those that are most vulnerable and most at risk so any comments alice on on non-performing loans i mean just you mentioned that they are um the on average uh, the, 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 the amount people need to pay back to the bank is, is increasing like around 45 euros to 73 euros, depending on when uh, people actually got the mortgage. So do you, do you see any signals of, of people struggling to pay back the, the, the mortgage or is not an issue so far? Right. Well, no, it's, it's an interesting question, actually. I think especially after COVID, there was kind of this perception that non-performing loans would, you know, have a, a high risk of increasing strongly. I think this was kind of the concern for Italy and for Spain. But so far, really, we're, you know, as of the data for the end of last year, non-performing loans are, are, are quite manageable. We're at around, you know, 3.5% or so um, in terms of the non-performing loan ratio. Um going down from you know from from higher levels uh in the previous in the, at the start of the year um so at this point i think not just for the housing sector overall but in but in general non-performing loans are, are fairly contained for the time being in spain that doesn't mean that things you know won't change um as we as we kind of see state aid starting to 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 taper out and let's see how economic conditions continue and as we said employment trends but but for the time for the time being as as was we're seeing the situation remains fairly contained mm -hmm. you met, you mentioned the importance of um, employment trends in households ability to make good on mortgage payments of course people keep their jobs they are more likely going to be paying back the mortgage right but how do you see Spain's labor market performance uh, recently well, well, just to start off, the, the recent performance of the Spanish labor market has been fairly favorable as regards employment. Um, for example, in 2021, we had an unemployment rate of about 14.8%. That went down to 12.9 in 2022. Our forecasts continue to see that going down to 12.3 in 2023, even further down to 11.5 uh, in uh, 2024. So, so that evolution is favorable. Also, we're, we've already surpassed, in terms of employment figures themselves, we've already surpassed pre-pandemic levels and continue to grow in 2022, despite a challenging economic and geopolitical context. Um, indeed, the, the number of contributors topped pre-pandemic levels as early as the fall of 2021, even though GDP was still below 2019 levels. We're also seeing some, some positive trends in terms of the reduction of temporary contracts which has always been been a, a, a tricky point for Spain uh, since the passage of the most recent labor reform. So that's another positive development. Um, temporary workers and total contributors stood at 15%. That's the lowest level in the historical series at the end of 2022. 
um, that compares to about 27% in previous years. So, so we're seeing the, the favorable impact of the labor reforms in terms of job quality through that angle. Um, some labor market data, however, does remain mixed and, and, and there's uncertainty as regards to what's underpinning some of the performance in, in some of the aspects where we see improvement. So all of that is complicating a, a straightforward interpretation. So firstly, it's not really clear to us why Social Security contributors are growing so strongly and so intensely, outpacing both GDP and the labor force survey employment growth data. Um, part of that explanation, we think, could be attributable to the, to the formalization of the informal economy, which is in favor of the labor market resilience that we mentioned, given that the, the situation has been so uncertain of late in terms of the economic outlook. And, and also, there have been some trends that have been less favorable. For example, there's been a sharp drop in the hours, the actual hours worked by job holders, although that's something that we've seen across the Eurozone as a whole. It's still adding to the mixed picture in Spain. So, so the bottom line is the trends, some of them have been favorable, but, but there's still a lot of ambiguity in these recent trends. So it, it's really too early for us to come to a definitive conclusion regarding the evolution of Spain's labor market and, and to what extent this may be structural or, or just cyclical changes only only time will tell we'll have to wait and see what happens there all right Alice um, thank you so much for joining us and let me remind everyone that you you can access the uh, C4 Funka's publication you'll have that in the show notes of this podcast and uh, let me remind everyone as well that Alice Fabyshenko is uh, Funka's uh, senior advisor so Alice thank you for being with us thanks again Carlos all right take care Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all and stay well.